We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. You know, I, I know some Psalm 139ers. You know those people that you get their, their emails uh, and their prayer letters and you're just like, whoa, God is with them. Everything they do seems like a highlight. They live like people on mission. These friends of mine live out in L.A. The husband, Nikita, came to faith through our ministry in Kazakhstan and he just shares faith as breathing. I mean, he's winsome, he's honest, he's endearing. His wife is a gift of joy and zest and energy. She loves to host. Her laugh is infectious. It is boisterous. It is borderline obnoxious. (laughs) But it just brings people in. They got their dream position in campus ministry a, a, a few years back at UCLA. And Nikita was so excited to be a sports chaplain coming from Kazakhstan at the Mecca of university sports in America in some ways. And they prayed, God, would you show us where we could live? Where would you place us? Where would you send us? You're with us. Would you go ahead of us? Would you even lay us down? And God, through an amazing story I don't have time for here, opened up doors for them to live in or to have this place in in a neighborhood that looked perfect. Uh, that it was right across the street from the school. The neighbors had kids the same age. It was 10 minutes from the beach, just about as close to the campus. They had this vision of students coming over and barbecues and, and joyful music and sharing Christ with the neighbors as the joy overflowed, even with festive and fun taco trucks. But as their moving truck pulled up on the day they moved in, It happened to also be the day that Tanya found out she had cancer. And that vision was undone. And so were they in many ways. And rather than this thriving, it was more like surviving. And rather than tacos, it was tears. Herein lies an interesting marvel of Psalm 139 and maybe the Christian life. We really read it entirely differently depending on our experience. You search me and know me. You know everything. You're with me. Yes, Lord, when things are going well, yes, Lord. You search me and know me. You know everything. Surely the darkness has covered me. The light around me is night. I don't just feel hemmed in. I feel trapped in the words of one of my close brothers in a recent conversation. It's both. And it's a beautiful, mysterious, layered paradox of a prayer that points to an unchanging God. And we usually think about this psalm like a cuddle up and snuggle with God as he cuddles up and snuggles with us. And there is such a sweet sense of intimacy. But it's also a little bit scratchy. Maybe worse, it's pokey. It's a probing, purging, stripping, examining, besieging, slaying, and melting down psalm. All those words are in there. Those ideas are in there. We just don't like to see them, or we don't see them on first glance. Because being known at the level that God knows us 
is like being undone. Look with me at the very first verse and then the last two, the bookends and the guiding themes of the psalm. Search and know. You've searched me and known me, and search me and know my heart, O God. This search is a purposeful, probing, sharp investigation, a pointed and thorough examination. It's not a general sweep for good vibes. And my heart, we read this as a, in my center, my feelings, how I feel about things. The Hebrew understanding of heart means middle, central. Could be mind, soul, spirit, inner or true self, the center of me. This can and often does mean feelings, but not in a detached or frivolous or wildly passionate way. In other words, this includes all of our deepest desires, our longings. Search me and show me what is most central to me. Search me and show me what is driving me. Search me and show me what it is I most long for. Do you feel the open-handedness of this? Not the demanding, but the what? The why? Look at the, the questions behind the affirmations. The what was I thinking? You discern my thoughts from afar. Why did I even say that? Even before a word is on my tongue, you knew it. See, this is a bold, scathing, sometimes uncomfortable knowing. Not just a, ah, oh, you knew that I wanted oat milk in my latte before I asked, knowing. <laughs> Though there is, God does get us. He gets us, but he's got us. He's got us in the sense that we're hemmed in. We're hemmed in. And even that word hemmed in in verse 5 means to besiege. It's a military term. It means to capture and cut off. And yes, there's this loving nuance to this, like we have in English. You know, you've captivated my heart. My heart. I'm captive to you. But it also means I'm captive to you alone. There's a boundary. There's a limit. I don't just get what I want out of this. I don't actually even understand everything. But you get me, and you got me. Search out my paths, verse 3. Search out is a spying term. As Moses, the book of Numbers says, they, he sent out the spies he, to search out the land. It can mean to spread out or to scatter. I think the NASB might have it a little bit closer as they translate it, scrutinize me. Scrutinize my paths. I haven't heard this lyric in a tender love song. I love how you scrutinize me, baby. <laughs> Spy on me. Scatter me. This is too close. This is over the line. This is invasive, especially for our Western, individualistic boundaries ears. And maybe this is why the psalmist tries to flee. Now, I know this is metaphorical and lyrical. Where can I go from your presence? But he writes, I made my bed in Sheol, a picture of filth, of death, of wickedness. David knows something about snuggling up and sharing his bed with wickedness. But here he lands on, there's nowhere I can go but you. Even there, those dark places, you meet me. Now look at the bookends here, Psalm tw or verse 23. Try me and know my thoughts. Test me 
This word to test really means to melt down. It means to refine. It's what, they, it's what is used for metals. Melt down to test the purity. David is praying, actually, melt me, Lord. Melt me and show me what I'm really made of or what's really going on inside me. This is a courageous, bold, vulnerable, humble, guaranteed to be humbling prayer. And see if there's any grievous way in me. Could be wicked or idolatrous, offensive, that which puts others or God into agony or hurts him. In other words, show me how I've broken your heart. Consistently, way, not once, way. How I break your heart all the time. So patterned are my grievous customs, I can't even see them. They become a part of me, not just the clothes I'm wearing, but the skin I think protects me. I need you, God, to melt it away. Not just a few dirty sins. God, I become enmeshed in my own nature. We call that sinful nature is the theological term. Or false self. Now you might be saying, wow, that is heavy. Are you sure that's all in there? I mean, I kind of like this psalm much better when it was just a, you're always with me psalm. And, and it looks like we at least land on the crescendo. We at least get the win in the end American movie. Lead me in the way everlasting. Phew, victory. And I think David was thinking that way. There's eschatological overtones, maybe messianic overtones, the everlasting victory. But we get to read this through the lens of Jesus, who is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And we know his everlasting way was through a cross. It was through death that he got us everlasting life. Lead me in a purging, stripping, humiliating death to myself. The life of Christ in me, the life of me in Christ and his body, that's who I am. He is my home. This is a bold prayer. And here's the thing. If God does know us at this level and knows how deeply enmeshed we are in our stuff, he has to love us out of it. He has to undo us. But what does it mean to be undone? Does it happen by itself? Do we sign up for it? Yes and yes. Let's look at this example that we read from John 21 with Peter and Jesus. Jesus, the very knownness and knowability of the triune God. I'm just making up words now, sorry. But that's incarnation, the theological term, incarnation. God come near, God put on flesh, knownness and knowability. With an resurrected form, and here he is with Peter. And Jesus teaches Peter and us the difference between I'm done and I'm undone. I'm done and I'm undone. And you might say, well, Peter, I think he's already been done. He's undone already. If you know the story, he denied Jesus three times after he was led to the cross. I don't know the man. I'm done. It was Peter that after he died, he said, I'm going back fishing. No more of this fishers of men. I'm back to fishers of fish. And he brought some guys with him, a born leader, influencing. He's done. But that was done. This is undone. Come with me now as Jesus searches him and knows him. How he reinstates and commissions him as he's undoing him. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you, first time. 
second time. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Third time. Do you love me? And look at verse 17 with me. Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time. It could be translated crushed or undone. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. A little bit of my own interpretation here, but I can feel this with Peter, exasperated, saying, Lord, Lord, that's you. You're, you're the Lord. You're the knowability, knownness, and all-knowing God. You know my heart better than I know my own heart. What, what else can I say? I got, I got nothing. I know I failed you. I know I'm probably going to fail you again. But I, I know I love you. It's all I got. Ding, 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 ding. Finally, the right answer. Not charging ahead with the sword. Live by the sword, died by the sword. Not rebuking Jesus about going to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. Not, I don't even know the man. You'll deny me three times. But rather an undone, all-in, humble surrender. You know all things. You know I love you. And here Jesus doesn't just call him out. He calls him back and he commissions him. Come with me in verse 18. It is a strange and profound commissioning. When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. Peter was a go-getter. He went where he wanted. He was good at it. He went where he thought was right. He got after it. No. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you or clothe you and lead you where you do not want to go. Then some interesting parentheses. And follow me. In other words, here's a commissioning. Your life will be about surrendered followership. We call that discipleship. Meek and open hands. Maturity is not how well you gather people to go where you want to go. Maturity is how well you will follow me in surrender where you don't want to go even unto death. And here's where those parentheses aren't just parentheses. John writes, he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Death that glorified God. Those aren't parentheses. That's the gospel. That's Jesus' own story and path. Peter, you're going to glorify me by dying to yourself. You're going to be undone just like I was on the cross. And you're going to be brought to life everlasting. A Bible teacher of mine says, we're all practicing dying well. How well are we dying today? It's a long pattern, a lifelong pattern and process for us all, suffering in community over time. So what about you? What about us, church? What does this mean to be undone? It starts with these kind of prayers. Search me, God, and know my heart of hearts in my communion with you alone. Search us, Lord, and know our heart of hearts in community with God and each other. Teens and tweens, I know you're here. Come on back. I didn't lose you, did I? What does this mean for you? Friendship, belonging. God, search my heart. You know I want friends. You know I want to be meaningful. 
you know, I want to be loved. Maybe you've drifted from your friends. Show me if there's anything in me that's offended them or them offended me. And lead me where maybe I don't want to go. Those hard conversations are so hard to have when you're a teenager where I might actually reconcile with my friend or those who I don't even count my friends. Whew, that's tough. That's where we don't want to go. College students, University Sunday. I know it's not the thing to be undone in college, especially over there at BU. Man, they're stylish. <laughs> Can't even walk on that campus. But not just how they dress. I remember the pressure of walking onto Harvard's campus as a freshman, poised to prance and perform my way to impressive impressions. Whoo, I was ready. Ready for academia, where the more you can poke holes in others' arguments and words, the better you look. Ready for college sports, where the more you can humiliate and beat somebody else, the more glory you get. Ready to charm and impress my way to some friendships, maybe, maybe even with some ladies. Although I knew the limits of my charm even back then. But I had no idea how addicted I was to an image of myself that didn't even exist. And God, by his grace and his goodness, undid me thoroughly. Broke my foot the third practice of my freshman fall. It's hard to get glory when you're crutching around sitting on the bench. Had emergency throat surgery three weeks after my foot surgery as my throat swelled shut. It's hard to be charming when you can't breathe. And if I'm honest, I was being completely melted down as my own lack of academic and intellectual metal was revealed in the classroom. But about the same time, I was wearing a Fellowship of Christian Athletes shirt that my fanatically faithful and Christ-crazy, loving high school baseball coach had gifted me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here for a second. It's, it's not even in my notes, but it, it, God is so gracious, I have to say it. I found out yesterday that because of a hurricane, this same Christ-crazy coach was detoured to Boston. And his wife, walking around the commons, saw a sign that had my name on it. <laughs> and they're here today. And, and, and our God is so gracious that I cannot even find in anywhere in my mind or in my life a better living parable for what faithfully being undone looks like than Coach Vaughn, who five years ago, I think, had a body surfing accident and broke his neck and has been paralyzed. But who prays for me and so many others every day in a ministry of prayer and support and encouragement. This man is a hero of mine, and he's here. That's how gracious our God is, as he undoes us, as he undoes me right now. As I'm walking around campus with this FCA shirt that I didn't even know what FCA stood for or meant, <laughs> one of my friends, who wasn't even a close friend at the time, said, oh, you went to FCA in high school? And uh, <laughs> you should, uh, 
you should come to my room. I have this small group for athletes. Also, I didn't know what that meant. I thought that wasn't the big group, maybe for the lightweights, the little guys. <laughs> I, can, I can hang out with some little guys. I'm a little guy. I don't know why I went, and, I, and then I didn't know why I kept coming back, but as I look back now, I do. I was being called and commissioned as I was being undone. And these huge guys, they weren't lightweights, especially spiritually. These huge guys spoke in a way that I had never been around in my life. They talked openly and honestly about insecurities, failures, offenses, and they prayed for each other. And they sung together horribly. <laughs> and they spoke the truth to each other not to dethrone or, platform or, de or, or derail the other person or platform themselves, but to build each other up graciously. And we reconciled conflict, and we had conflict, but it was reconciled. And this thing that I'd heard of but hadn't tasted much in my life called forgiveness was a norm with us. And looking back in that small group of those young adults, small group, young adults, I saw the beginning of a lifelong commissioning and calling. And it wasn't a one and done, but being undone as an entry course to a lifelong degree. See, now 20-some plus a few years later, as pastor of small groups and young adults, from the pulpit of the church that I went to as a freshman, I get to look at you college students and say, have the courage to pray to be undone. Have the courage to pray to be undone. And he will lead you to a community of people who live authentically and ooze his love through you to those around you. He will. Park Street, I long that we would be this kind of community, becoming like Jesus together, with deeper dependence on him in everything for everlasting life. God, would you squeeze us so hard that it's your love that oozes out. And we need your spirit to cleanse it first. That transformation from the old self, the false self, to the new self. We need your spirit to cleanse it, but would you squeeze us so hard that it's your love that oozes out. And you may be one of those folks who's been here for a while and finds yourself thinking like I do oftentimes, God, I, I know my stuff. I got it. I get it. I got a pretty good handle on my issues. I think I know where to grow. Or I know I got the right theology. It'll just work itself out. No. We are not done being undone. We have an incredible and beautiful history, but we're still hanging by his mercy. And this transformation from the false self to the new self, from a put-together community to an authentic community of love, takes a lifetime through suffering and many dark nights that are all light to him. But I got this is the furthest thing from search me and know me, O oh God. Search me and know my heart, know our heart, and show me how we break yours. I got nothing, but I know I love you. You lead me. I'm undone, but I'm yours. Back to those Psalm 139ers, my friends, Tanya and Nikita. As they were moving in in their truck, and she was crying, and they were trying to sort through this, one of their neighbors came, home, came over and welcomed them. Now, apparently this is something that people do in other places besides Boston. 
talk to their neighbors and stuff. It's crazy. They came over to welcome them. And then and as she's crying, she's just honest about her situation. We're, we're here, but now I'm not sure. We, we, we're not sure. It turns out these neighbors are cancer survivors. Oh, and so are they. And so are those across the street. And none of them were churchgoers. Some of them were duns. I'm done. But they all signed up for meal trains. And pretty soon they're picking up their kids at school and taking Tanya to treatment. And hanging out at their house. When Tanya came home from her last treatment, there was a block party. But it wasn't just this, everything's great, so we'll point to Jesus. It was a thank you for being part of my journey block party for her neighbors. And before they ate, you guessed it, tacos from the taco trucks, she thanked them for being instruments of God's healing and love in her life. The witness was powerful. Knownness and knowability of God in relationship. And you may say, well, how do we know? How do you know that witness last, lasted? A couple years ago, I was out there for classes, and Nikita invited me to baptize him. It's a long story of why it took that long to baptize him. But I said, oh, in your church? He says, no, no, at the beach. I said, oh, okay. And, and your church is going to be there? Yeah, yeah. My pastor will be there, some friends from my small group, but uh, also my neighborhood. I said, oh, you have some friends from your neighborhood? No, my neighborhood. <laughs> and as the caravan of cars drove to the beach, I tore up my notes. So these are all non-believers. And I took the strands of the story that I'd heard from them, and I tried my best to weave them together, being loved in community, God's healing, the way that he goes before us, the suffering that leads to life. And I tried my best to point it all to Jesus because it is his story. And as I'm sharing on the beach about baptism, I'm looking at this woman who is a yoga instructor. And nothing against yoga. She fits the stereotype in every way, especially spiritually. She, she's not near Christian faith, and they had told me she's jaded, in fact. So I was surprised she was there. And she actually interrupts me before I'm done explaining what baptism is. And I was a little worried. And she has tears coming out of her eyes, and she said, if this is how baptisms are, I need to go to more baptisms. This is just beautiful. <laughs> As I'm weaving together this idea of how maybe you guys understand a little bit about this being loved in a community or being loved into God's household, because God has used you as such in these people's lives. She had witnessed the witness of God through the vulnerable yet courageous undone life of Tanya and Nikita. And she's reading Tanya's book called Covered, which I would recommend to you all. It has this story in it, and they're still talking about it. See, in witness and worship, the witness of God is not pretend. It's not about being put together and perfect. On the contrary, we embrace being undone by a God who knows everything about us and yet still loves us unto himself invaded, captured, and completely hemmed in by his love. May it be among us. Let's pray.
Lord, we long for this healing in our community as you search us and you know us already. Melt us down, undo us, and transform us into a people that honors you with our lives, that oozes your love to each other and those around us. Thank you that the whole world is here. Thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.